Hello and welcome to Less Than Silent Hills. I'm one of your hosts, Brock Wilbur. And I'm the other one of your hosts, Rachel Jane Annelman. Rachel, how are things in your world? How's life? Um, life is great. Um, I saw an amazing one-man improv show on Thursday. Last night, I, I hosted an improv show where the audience really loved it when I told them to shut up. That's kind of like my go-to move. They, I don't know why it always works, but people think it's very funny. Uh, so that That's was the a- dream to reach the point where you can no and the audience. <laughs> uh, well, it's like they they talk like during the instructions for the show because the show like has ballots and stuff, and and then you just are like, hey, um, shut up, and then everyone laughs, and then you just feel very accepted, and you feel like the show is working. <laughs> How, what percentage of your life is improv at this point? Um, that's a great question. Uh, the thing about improv is that there, you know, there's there's performing it, uh, there's hosting, uh, there's teaching, which is different than coaching, which is also different than directing. Uh, so um, if you dece- like, you could easily put those in separate buckets. But if you call them all improv, then easily, you know, sixty <laughs> percent. <laughs> Uh, so this is the uh, show about Silent Hill. Uh, we're both comedians. Uh, we both uh, enjoy Silent Hill. We both also know that uh, it is nearly impossible for most people to have access to playing the games through at this point. So we uh, we sort of talk about them so you don't have to uh, <laughs> uh, spend a day of your life trying to track down an old system to emulate. Uh, so this, this one is actually the episode about something that is accessible to everyone. Uh, we're doing an episode... Sort of bouncing around here in out of order a little bit, but we're just uh, excited to get to it. Talking about the 2006 uh, film adaptation uh, directed by uh, Christoph Gans. Uh, we're talking about Silent Hill, the movie today. Rachel, how Woo! stoked are you? Um, I'm very stoked. I'm very stoked that I paid um, uh, YouTube $4 to rent the movie. Um, I was under the impression it was still on Netflix. Uh, I was uh, grossly incorrect about that fact. Um, so I've seen it twice, <clears throat> once on Netflix and once um, earlier today. <laughs> How was your revisit? I actually liked it more the second time. Um, the stuff that like st- stuck out as like corny, like you grow to accept those things. Um, and so you kind of like are more able to, at least speaking for myself, able to kind of like live in kind of the vibe of it more, right? Um, which which is really, I think, um, and you probably, you may agree, uh, is Silent Hill the movie's uh, main selling point is the vibe. Yeah, I think that uh, we're, we're, we're about to get into it, but overwhelmingly, I think that people can shit on a lot of different parts about this movie, uh, but there are there are certain things about it, uh, and I... I got to eat shit on this one. There was a there was a tweet the other day that was like, "Hey, quote tweet this with your uh, with your your most positive but uh, controversial opinion on a film." And I was like, "Oh, I can uh, sometimes when I'm trying to get somebody to watch Silent Hill the movie that wouldn't otherwise be up for it, I'm like, you need to see this movie for production values alone, just some of the sets and some of the creature physical designs and stuff." And my mentions were flooded for a week with people being like. It's actually a very good movie, and like, have you ever played the games? And the number of I, I, I had something like 150 people at one point that I was about to copy and paste an answer to, like, "Hi, 
I also like it, and I have a fucking Silent Hill <laughs> podcast. Please subscribe. Like, yes, I've played the games. It it was as if I was a woman on the internet expressing wow. an opinion with how many men that didn't know me and had less than 15 followers wanted to come <laughs> uh, educate me about all the things I didn't know. I was... I was so upset. I was like, you know what? I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna respond to everyone here. But yes, there is a, a there is there's something about this film where the director is uh, he had, he had not really worked English language previous to this, right? Uh, and and you can kind of tell that there's some stuff that I think that an English language director would have been like that delivery feels just off. Yeah. But, I, I I love it. I think it's a very good movie, and it, it, it in terms of adapting a thing. It gets the vibe so well, and there's we'll get into some reasons why it does that. But it is, uh, it is overwhelmingly the experience of of being around a Silent Hill game or or like a very streamlined version of that. And I think that some of the corniness and some of the mistakes or or stuff that's less good, like it also emulates what what a Silent Hill game is, but doesn't get like like you were talking about. You're like I'm much more forgiving of the corniness. Is like yeah, because our bar for corniness now is real goddamn low. <laughs> We've been through some of these games. It doesn't it doesn't get anywhere near how bizarre and otherworldly some of the line deliveries of like Silent Hill Two are. But uh, y- yeah, there's there's some stuff, and it not being great is equally good for what it's doing. So <laughs> yeah. Um, I think the, you can really tell, um, uh, I think you could tell that a movie is not directed by, um, someone who's, for whom English is their first language is when half the movie is people just shouting other people's names. Uh, I think that's a pretty <laughs> generous tell. Um, I am like, I was like, I was going to give it a mildly positive review. And then I've, I'm hearing how annoying its fans are. <laughs> and I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> Uh, um, I'm sorry you went through all that. Uh, I guess Silent Hill the movie is about feeling like a, a woman twice. Uh, uh, you get the perspective of, of what it means to be a mother, and then you get to go on the internet and feel like a woman again. I, I am I am a mother to many uh, bad takes and opinions. <laughs> uh, so uh, let's uh, let's crack the plot here. Do you want to start off telling us about what happens in the movie because? It takes some of the ideas from the game and it has other really cool or at least different stuff that it brings. Uh, yeah. You you want to get us started here? Sure. Uh, do you want like a really general summary or like getting into like the I'm, I'm like a I'm a big moment by moment plot rehasher. Uh, so what do you feel is what do you, what do you want? Yeah, from let's. Me? Let's go moment by moment, and when we hit certain stuff, there's there's enough we can graze over. <laughs> Great. This is a movie about Sean Bean and Radha Mich- Mitchell in their underwear, uh, and they are panicked. <laughs> <laughs> One of the first shots of the movie is just Radha Mitchell bursting out of the front door, uh, like in her skivvies, uh, screaming, um, uh, um, you know, her daughter. Uh, and and her daughter's name, and um, they are in the cabin, like they're in these Rose. spooky woods. Rose, 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 Rose. 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 Um, uh, and they're and they're in the in the spooky woods, and um, uh, she's like running, and you're like, is she wearing sneakers? I can't tell. They don't ever like cut to her feet, so it's unclear whether uh, she's like in socks or like slippers. Uh, but that's sort of like, for me, like a major high stakes moment in the movie, just kind of trying to determine 
how she's walking through these woods. Uh, but uh, she does find her daughter um, is, is actually like a very beautiful, it's like as we talk about like um, the vibe and the, um, <clears throat> just like the, the cinematography, it's a very beautiful shot of just her daughter sort of on this cliff uh, next to this waterfall. And there's like this, um, like electric, like these uh, electric lights in the shape of a cross in the distance, and you're like, are they? In the, are they near Vegas? Like, where are they? Um, and she like tackles her daughter uh, onto the ground before her daughter has a chance to like uh, uh, sleepwalk to death. Um, and it's actually like a pretty. I think it's a kind of fun. It's a fun opening. Uh, what do you think, Brock? Uh, I, I've always thought th there is uh, a cross that looks just like that that's in the hills around uh, near the coast on the in, in Los Angeles. Oh. Uh, and I've always found it kind of annoying because it overlooks uh, like the Hollywood Bowl. So uh, you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know Jesus doesn't approve of this uh, perfect <laughs> circle concert I'm at. I, I don't approve either. It's fine. Uh, but uh, I, I've always thought about that because I'm like, there isn't a goddamn waterfall around there nor is there any place that i, I guess there are, are houses that the super rich people like arnold schwarzenegger own that could like have a cliff nearby that i just maybe rich people have secret waterfalls but yeah I, i've taken the <laughs> advice of, of other rich people and i don't go chasing waterfalls mm. so i don't know where they are maybe maybe it, it and that that always sets me up to start the movie by being like are they like fancy Hollywood producers? Yeah. It, like, that, is the that other, would make more sense with what happens next. <laughs> that is like the other big, for me, the big ambiguity that I would have loved to have them address is like, what do these people do? Uh, because their house is like extremely nice, um, but they never like refer to them as like big moneyed. Um, but they're also not like your typical mom and dad of... of uh, <laughs> Like they're, they're like cool mom and dad. They're the cool mom and dad. They're like the mom and dad who are like wealthy in in a way that's highly ambiguous. Um, so I would have loved a scene where we just watched them, uh, you know, meet with their tax advisor and really hammered down those details. Ah, uh, the 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 horror of uh, capitalism. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Should have gotten into more of that in this film. A little bit. I think a little bit would have been nice. Because um, it's also like. So um, they it's also like a fish out of water thing. Like when she does go to uh, Silent Hill, and like those people are not rich. Um. <laughs> <laughs> oh my. And that's why she doesn't know how to communicate with them. Yeah. Uh, uh, we go, so we go from this place that like maybe it's in the middle of the country, or maybe it's in the middle of Los Angeles, and it just cuts to uh, child and mom hanging out in a big beautiful field under a big beautiful tree in a place that probably doesn't exist with colors that don't seem like anything in the rest of the film. Uh, and the mom makes the decision that because her daughter keeps shouting about Silent Hill when she's having these nightmares, she Googles it, as you do uh, when you're solving a problem, finds that there's a real town named Silent Hill, and so she decides to kidnap her daughter to take her there uh, in hopes that this fixes the problem. This is some... This is some classic Googling the symptoms of your sickness and then uh, and then coming up with your own solution stuff. It is it is such a good like horror setup in that it is the dumbest goddamn inciting incident. Like, wow, this girl seems awfully terrified of this place. Let's just go do some immersion therapy in this town that is off limits to the world. And this is like another moment where I'm like, this is the difference between a movie that um, 
is like enjoyable in a weird way and versus like a movie that's probably like an actually good film because it does feel like it's missing just a scene like where and I can describe the scene to you like I'm like you're missing this scene you're missing the scene where the parents meet with a professional who put this out as an option um then you miss the scene where they uh, the, the, the parents talk to each other, and Sean Bean is real stubborn. And we see that it's Radha Mitchell's only option. Um, we're missing that scene, and so we're like, did she even talk to the dad? Uh- <laughs> it's it's the weirdest kidnapping, and it and because of this choice, it, it makes her the actual villain of the story. You're like, oh, no, yeah. should have never done this, obviously. Because Sean Bean is not like... Uh, he is not shown to be an unreasonable person uh, in terms of, like, uh, their relationship. I don't think that's not established. No. He might have been like, take me along. <laughs> I mean, probably not. But um, it would have been fun to, like, develop that relationship even a little bit before they, I, like, go I into their own plots. I that I thought the same thing the first time I saw it. I spent the whole movie being like, I feel like if she'd asked, this guy was up for it. Because as you find out... He winds up there too. Right. Like it's not. It's not that he's like, look, my schedule is very full right now uh, with all of these meeting with our with our tax people. Uh, we've just got to figure out: are we rich or not? I don't know. None of these professionals know. Uh, I'm going to be at it for the next week. Uh, yeah, it, it, the, you're, you're absolutely right. There's a, there's two scenes that are missing there that would have made the rest of it make some sort of sense, but they're like, nope, just jump to mid kidnapping. Great. Uh, and it's a fun mom daughter road trip. Woo. um and the road trip of course is 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 fun um they stop at a gas station uh that's where they meet the cop symbol of the cop um who is uh, very suspicious of them the moment they stop in that gas station and you and and there's a good there's actually a pretty good reason why we find that out later but at the top uh you're just like is this an all cops are bad movie Uh (laughs) uh-huh (laughs) because <laughs> the cap like immediately gives them like a lot of trouble where you're like they're just they literally just parked what is your deal um and that's actually one of the questions they do answer uh so that was a very satisfying moment when they do um well on top of it the mom is just being s- such a a nervous nelly creep ass she's like won't answer questions and is like fidgety and stuff yeah. and like it, there's yeah it makes sense there's a little girl out in the middle of the night like there's there's enough things that that scene feels motivated to be like yeah i'm gonna run the plates on this let's see what's going on yeah. <laughs> um and i also love like i love um you know like when she goes to pay for the ham sandwich and she's like i'm going to silent hill and the woman at the cash register is like no one no one don't go no to Silent Hill anymore. Like it was very like the accent is like incredible. <laughs> um, so I enjoyed that particular moment very much. Well, we've we've hit the rural part of Pennsylvania, which uh, it, it bears repeating in case anyone hasn't listened to every episode of this. But uh, Centralia, PA, is actually a city. Uh, where this really happened, there is there is a coal mine under the town that caught fire, and for years it it, it burned, uh, and and that's why there's ash and stuff everywhere, and, and people still live around there, and and have tried to to make a life in that area. And in fact, the uh, the original working title of this movie was Silent Hill Centralia, 
Uh, and I was just like, that's not a great, uh, you don't need that. What are you doing? Like, <laughs> <laughs> You're like, I see, I see how that uh, got clipped off. Y- yeah. I and, and that feels like something that like, that, that feels like another non-English speaking choice to be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's, there's gotta be like some sort of colon here. And then more to the title is like, no, I think, I think Silent Hill really sums it all up pretty well. <laughs> yeah. I think people will get it. <laughs> Uh, so they're at this gas station. Uh, the The police officer, Sybil, is like, "Okay, there's this girl's been kidnapped. I've run the place, whatever." And then what happens is a car chase. The mom takes off for Silent Hill into the night, like turning her lights off for non and stuff like that. the The cop is following. Uh, they break through some gates to get into into the city, which is weird. It's a, just a weird woods car chase. It's it's such a Hollywood like, well, we should have a car chase here because no one's going to be in a car again later. And it's like, sure, let's fucking do it. Uh, and then um, the mom sees a ghost girl in the road, but thinks it's a girl and then slams on her brakes to avoid the girl and everyone crashes, uh, which is it is a very funny moment because in watching it now, you're like, this is like a three decade old like bullshit movie trick at this point like i i didn't like it when i saw it in the film gothica i don't i don't love it now and then you're like yeah but also it's it's coming from uh a source that like was was one of the first so like it's not it's it's so weird to to see it adapted from the game and be like this is such a hokey uh device and be like yeah well it came from a hokey device too which it's perhaps worth noting that this episode is coming out uh, just after the 20th anniversary of Silent Woo! Hill, uh, the original game's release, uh, which uh, Silent Hill and Family Guy started uh, came out on the same day, <laughs> uh, which I which I hate I hate so much. Uh, I, I invited the internet to make some memes that did that. Uh, a guy on my Facebook sent me a video that he made of Peter Griffin putting in a haunted videotape and then interspliced all the footage from the Silent Hill 2 videotape at the end nice. uh, of her being sick in there. And I was like, I hate, I hate that I did this. I hate that this <laughs> now exists in the world. God, Christ, why? Uh, but yeah, we should uh, we should get our, our friend Whitney on the show because uh, I watched a, a stream of hers recently that she did for charity that uh, she did all of Silent Hill 1. And boy, does she capture some stuff uh, in there that a like plot wise I never would have noticed and b like there's she has all these details like the uh, the school in Silent Hill one mm-hmm. uh, is actually modeled on all the rooms that are shown in the uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger film Kindergarten Cop <sighs> and I was just like <laughs> including like posters on the walls and stuff and it's just one of those things is like yeah the Japanese team was like what does an American school look like they got one VHS and they just ripped the room straight from that and that's one of the scariest locations in video <laughs> game history is the school from kindergarten cop and I was just like these okay every every fact we got to get you on the show to redo our Silent Hill 1 episode because we did fart sounds and jerk off hand motions at it and clearly there's a lot to unpack that is one of my favorite details I think I have learned on this podcast (laughs) is the kind of information that makes me happy to be on a podcast where I get to learn uh thank you Brooke (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Whitney. I'm sure you're listening. Uh, we'll we'll get you on soon. Uh, so uh, now we have the mom and the cop and the daughter, and they've all wrecked, and they wake up the next morning, and everything's covered in fog, and the mom walks up, and we have our big 
moment uh, where she walks up to the sign and it's welcome to Silent Hill and and she's like, oh, I'm at Silent Hill. B- bummer. <laughs> and we in the but audience the daughter are like- is gone now and she can't find her. So there's a lot of screaming for Rose again. Yes. Uh, there's a there's a game that just came out called uh, The Missing, uh, which is an in- incredibly cool game, a little indie thing that people should check out. And it's a it's a lot about uh, gender representation uh, and and everyone being accepted and stuff like that. But it is about a girl looking for her sister. And there is a button in that game that you can press to just keep calling out your sister's name. And that feels a lot like this. I kind of (laughs) want to press X for Rose button uh, for this movie. It's just it's just a lot of shouting out the one name over and over again to the point that it is pretty silly. Like she's not here. You know, she's not here. This is a big spooky haunted town. Um, yeah, and, like, um, it does, like, remind me that, like, when I, like, sometimes I, like, walk with my dog in the woods and my dog, like, decides it's fun to run ahead of me and I'm yelling his name over and over and you're just like, wow, um, this is a tedious kind of anxiety to have. Um, (laughs) I actually sympathize with anyone who has to yell someone's name over and over. Uh, I get it now. Tedious anxiety is a is a wonderful baseline for Silent Hill. I think for, you, for yeah. almost everything. Yeah, I think it, I think it really speaks to. Um, you're just like, okay, these monsters are gross. <sighs> They're definitely coming. <laughs> <laughs> there's there's an inevitability, but they're not here yet. And right now, it's just sort of this. My radio's all bad. <laughs> Okay, are they gonna be? Are they gonna be like strung up this time? Are they gonna be? <laughs> I assume the sexy nurses are coming. I just, just let me know. I love your frustration with sexy nurses. Ugh, <laughs> I gotta be turned on and afraid uh, yet again. That's Ooh. so much. I can't. I can't fix that problem at once, Brock. <laughs> <laughs> that's a multi-step solution. <laughs> Jesus. Uh, so we got the, the daughter's gone now. So the mom and the cop are sort of hanging out and the cop uh, puts her in handcuffs and is like, I got to figure out what's happening here. And while we're in the middle of that big old creepy monster full of darkness and flies and no arms comes uh, slithering out of nowhere. And it is, uh, my God, it is so cool that the choices made in this movie were to do everything, uh, even this late in the game, uh, in like 2006 in almost all practical effects. Like there's a little CGI work here and there, and it's sometimes with buildings and things. Uh, and sometimes it tweaks stuff, but all, all the creatures are, are basically contortionists and dancers wrapped in layers of just horrifying uh, costuming and uh, the choices that they make and the abilities that they have to just twitch like a weird spider thing. Uh, it's so incredible. And it, it, it is, as I've said, worth watching for some of the creature design and some of the set design alone. Like it's just a beautiful art house movie that has a, a B minus film on top of it. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah. And, uh, and so the monster attacks them. Mom runs off with the handcuffs. Sybil's like shooting at it. And, and we sort of split up here for a bit. And it is worth pointing out that Sybil is the cop from the Silent Hill one game. Right. That, uh, when you wake up in a diner there after being attacked. Oh, okay. So, so what happens next is that there's actually a sequence that follows 
that is shot for shot the opening sequence of Silent Hill 1. Uh, and it is all the same camera angles. It is uh, your character running down this alleyway. And and I didn't know how close this hued to the original until we played it for this podcast. And I was like, oh, it is second by second the shot. And I was reading up on the movie and apparently the director brought a TV and a PS1 to set so he could show everyone in the moment how how he wanted everything shot. And I was like, that feels like something you could have done in pre-production. Uh, I don't know that you had to play the game and also like you didn't have like an emulator or just record the videos off YouTube or something. You like, guys, I need like 45 minutes to get to the hospital level here uh, to show you this thing that I have this idea about. Uh, but it is it is shot for shot this. And at the end of it, uh, uh, there's sort of this maze of like fencing and uh, your your character in Silent Hill one and our, our our main character here in the Silent Hill movie navigates this this maze of fencing. And in that fencing, there's a human being that's been disemboweled, that's strung up and is still like alive. And then all these little uh, baby like creatures uh, covered in ash start mobbing the character. And in the game, uh, I was like, oh, God, I, there, I can't figure out how to get out of here. And then you die. You you're supposed to die because uh, you wake up in a diner the next day and the same thing happens in the movie. Our main character gets mobbed. The lights go out and then she wakes up the next day in a diner. Now, in Silent Hill 1, uh, Sybil is just waiting in the diner for you. And the mm-hmm. thing that she does with Harry Mason in that game is just gives him her gun <laughs> uh, and then disappears back into the haunted uh, world. And I did learn from Whitney's stream that there is a uh, a Silent Hill play novel that came out in Japan that's told from like the perspective of Sybil. Yeah. And like her motivation there is actually like, oh, hey, I'm going to give this man my gun because he seems like totally fucking helpless and he'll definitely die if I walk away. <laughs> whereas I'm like a, a capable policewoman and whatever I meet, I'm going to be cool with. And I was like cool feminism silent hill yeah like what a good idea like this man is so weak he needs a gun i'm i'm pretty good at everything i think i'll be okay in this weird nightmare landscape (laughs) see that's like that's like a that's like a moment where you do have to make it explicit why it's happening because if you see just uh like a woman giving a man a gun you might assume oh this is a sexist moment where the woman's like oh of course the the man gets the gun (laughs) He's Which I be... believe is what we said in the podcast episode. Right. Because we were like, why the fuck would this happen? And then you learn, oh, it's actually, um, we were the sexists all along. <laughs> what a twist, what? Silent Hill. That is the biggest Silent Hill twist, that we are the ones who um, hate women. Um, <laughs> um, oh, my God. Right. Well, I'm going to apply that across most of the games. And uh, you're No, you're right. Yeah. You're right. Yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> I also love, uh, I also love the moment in the diner uh, because of the, of course, the classic music choice. Um, I think this is one of the few songs in the movie that isn't a rip from where they just they don't just take the music from Silent Hill. The, the uh, only song where they they play uh, Johnny Cash's uh, "Ring of Fire" on the jukebox, uh, which is obviously a hilarious music selection uh, to play in a town uh, that burned down from a co- uh, a coal factory uh, accident. Um, and, uh, and also like, uh, at this point for me, Johnny Cash is the music to play at the top, near the top or at the top of your horror movie, obviously Dawn of the Dead being the other example. Um, and so for me, I'm like, oh, this is a classic staple now. Um, and I don't know if it was at the time, but it feels like, oh, uh, Johnny Cash is on, uh, we're definitely in a horror movie now. 
I don't know if you feel the same way. Yeah, it, no, it's it, sometimes, sometimes, uh, yeah, it's that. Uh, so, uh, Rose, the mom is, is still out, uh, out looking for her daughter, Sharon, uh, Sharon, 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 Rose, Rose, Rose. Um, and, uh, she winds up keep, keeps catching uh, sight of this little girl who is the girl that she ostensibly hit with the car, but definitely looks like she's come out of the ring videotape. So like, I don't know why we keep chasing her. Uh, and so she follows this little ghost girl through some places. The cop catches back up with her, uh, and they explore a number of, of locations uh, around Silent Hill. Uh, they learn a little bit about a weird cult. Uh, and uh, they also watch what happens in the town where it transitions uh, from uh, daytime. Everything's just sort of a shitty small town into this weird other world where things come to life and there's monsters and, uh, and so on and so forth. And one of the first situations that they wind up in is this very video game moment where uh, they need she needs a key to get out of the schoolhouse that she's in, and she opens a bathroom stall, and there is a dead man inside strung up with barbed wire, and there's a sign that says key and points to his mouth, and she's like, oh, come on. <laughs> uh, and like, actively, like, it's, 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 a, it's a break, like, to the audience. Uh, it's just like, oh, I guess I gotta, and, like, puts her hand in the mouth and, like, gets a mat, and then, like, the transition happens and like uh, again, like it's it is the CGI work here, but like it, it looks so incredible uh, as the city transitions into the other world, uh, the way that every texture just melts upward and, and reveals this sort of like flesh and fire underneath everything. It's so cool. And it is one of those things that uh, it, it is such a, a good like if you're going to throw millions of dollars at adapting Silent Hill, the video <laughs> game, into a movie. To get this right is so important, and it is one of those visual things that, like, even people that, like, I show it to that are fucking not into the movie are like, that is so cool, or like, yep, and it's always accompanied by these uh, air horn, these air sirens, air, 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 uh, air raid sirens that, like, it, it becomes such a viscerally tied thing, and there's this, uh, in the sound design, there's this low-sweeping bass note as things happen that just, like, makes your stomach drop out from you. I, oh, it's so good, and I love <laughs> everything about it. It's it's one of those things that's, like, even if, even if, like, now they handed me $30 million and a chance to remake it, like, I couldn't do better than this. I don't right. think anybody can. It's one of those things like this is as good as it as it gets, I think. <laughs> I do like the air horns because the air horns do like they represent the danger you're in. And they also represent the danger for the producers. They're like, oh, the air horns are going off. This is where we are about to spend a lot of money. <laughs> <laughs> These are the money horns. Uh, this city is about to get uh, much more expensive. Um, uh, as a producer, you should know that. Uh, I also do love... <laughs> I also do love that they, um, <clears throat> the dead man in the bathroom. They do they do cut to a quick close up of his the tag on his uniform. His name is uh, Colin. Uh, that will come up later. Um, <laughs> will come up later. <laughs> much later, uh, but I'm like, oh, Colin. That's that's that guy's name. Uh, I don't. You usually you usually don't get the names of the corpses in Silent Hill. So for me, that was like, hey, <laughs> that's a fun little twist. He he that guy got a name. Um, <laughs> Um, and obviously, um, and also like the school is weird because she is, 
Uh, one thing I think Rada Mitchell is really great is transitioning from um, yelling about her daughter to um, uh, screaming about the fact that she is being chased. Um, she is uh, chasing and then she's being chased. It happens, the transitions are really fast, but you always believe, uh, whether she's being chased or chasing, you always believe she's doing one of those things. Uh, so I think she did a great job. A game of cat and mouse and also cat. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so she's being chased by uh, these uh, strange, I assume, um, pe people in uh, sort of these mining, um, these heavy uh, rubber outfits. They've got a canary in a cage. Uh, that lets them know when the darkness is coming. Um, uh, so that's kind of like fun. Um, you do like you that does ex get explained later, but I'm like, oh, it's like fun to have these kind of like uh, creepy uh, people who are not monsters; they're just creepy people uh, chasing her through the school. Uh, and she does find um, important stuff in the school. She finds uh, the the witch desk, the desk with the words "witch" scrawled in it. Um, I'm like, that's definitely a plot point. Um, and uh, I really, it's also like uh, very um, satisfying just how dust covered everything is, like. They pe people really uh, put the work in on on the dust in this movie. Uh, I really believe that school was super old and hadn't been used. Uh, it, it is it, it is one of those rooms that like I I can just point to like it's not in the movie for very long, but it is it is just a, a perfect haunted schoolroom, and and the the design on it and everything is just so good, and the fact that it's a physical space and that they did this and. Uh, we found on eBay a little while back, and, and Rachel and I were passing this back and forth, one of the voiceover actors from Silent Hill 2 autographed a pillow and put it up on eBay, and, like, no one fucking bid on it. It was, like, a $30 <laughs> object, and we were like, should we should we collectively own this pillow uh, for no reason? I remember right after the movie came out, I was looking on eBay, and uh, they were putting up a bunch of, like, props and objects from it. And one of the things that they had up there for like 50 bucks or something was just uh, random desks from this schoolhouse scene. And I remember at the time being like, why would I pay a bunch of money to ship out like a child's desk <laughs> covered in dust? And like today I'm like, I wish I had that fucking spooky desk. Like I would be like, look, it's from that scene that I like the, the mise-en-scene in. And just like people would be like, cool. So you have like a desk for a child in your house full of only adults. Cool, 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 cool. Cool, cool, cool. Like, uh, what I like about that, what I like about that is, uh, you the you know when you're working on a movie, you know the prop coordinator goes to so much trouble to make the desk spooky, like a a spooky classroom, a spooky desk. But simply by the act of you, uh, uh, an adult male purchasing that desk, you magically make it spooky uh, without any of that kind of expertise or background that that prop coordinator has. And I think that is pretty cool. <laughs> Uh, so it, it, Rachel's brought up here the fact that there's the cult and they have all these systems. They, they, they set off the air raid sirens to let people know when the transition is coming. They have the birds. They have these mining outfits that they use, which is an, a really interesting repurposing of like technology around the town. So what you get into here is that uh, the, the population of the town is mostly still trapped here in the town. Uh, and that they've had to figure out ways of surviving, like, for years, like, scavenging for food and stuff, too, 
but also like surviving like this daily Silent Hill thing. And I'm so fascinated by um, by movies where people have like made peace with the fact that they're trapped in a thing and have to just figure out survival. Uh, like in the film Poltergeist, uh, before they bring in the old woman to do the exorcism, there's a period in that film where like they just know that their daughter's room is full of ghosts and their daughter is trapped in there for like a month. Mm -hmm. And there's a sequence where like the mom is like walking around upstairs, like grabbing laundry and like kind of tries to open the door and go scream at her. And she just goes back to doing laundry. And I'm like the ability for human beings (laughs) to normalize a situation, including like fucking ghost horror is so incredible to me. And that's one of the things that like I'm so fascinated about in this film is like, Wow, they've they've built this whole system, and they know what's safe, and they know how to do what they're doing, and like uh, they're just kind of good with it. It's it is like any film that that or book that like this uh, imagines like how the bureaucracy of hell runs. Like I'm just like okay, <laughs> like people will get used to like hell and how they live and operate down there, and uh, and that's what that's that's what this is. They have they have systems of of surviving, and and I find that I find that fascinating. Um, yeah, and um, and we uh, meet sort of our our in on the cult. Um, her name is Anna. We watch her uh, foraging for food, um, and uh, Anna I think is like surprisingly helpful to the two women, uh, two strangers. Um, <clears throat> uh, uh, like she's actually like uh, surprisingly like for someone who's in a cult, like, pretty, like, oh, this is just what we do, like, and she, like, obviously she's there to explain uh, their customs um, um, in a narrative sense, but I'm like, oh, she's not that terrible, or, like, uh, she's not uh, so weird that they can't even speak to her. Um, And they bring up, I think Anna's obviously, like, there to also show the the way that they have cast out uh, Dahlia's character, uh, who we first meet on the the ledge of the broken road, uh, and we're just like, oh, she's Dahlia's very much um, an outsider in this uh, terrible hell society, uh, and uh, you get to see uh, that um, enmity, which will have, uh, obviously ultimately lead to Anna's doom, um, which is a, a very which we should also mention that Dahlia is played by Deborah Kara Unger. Mm-hmm. Uh, who is one of my favorites, but also is is this old crone, spooky skeleton ghost woman, uh, and she is forty at the time of this. Like they make her look like in her seventies, and I'm like, that's Deborah Kara Unger, who I know to be half the age of what's happening here. Sure, sure, let's do that. <laughs> I mean, there is like we can talk about it um, now or later, but the timeline of this film, um, I. I think maybe you will agree uh, for me is like absolutely nuts. Like um, the characters in the film uh, in, in this uh, underground hell society, cult society uh, are obviously still characters um, uh, in the, the flashbacks that we ultimately go to. Um, and we see one of the people in the flashbacks uh, be the same age uh, in the Sean Bean B plot, and I'm like, that doesn't make any sense. Right. Yeah, okay, so now we have to talk about it. Okay. So <laughs> Sean, Sean Bean has like 30, 
35 minutes of the story here. And this is this is actually one of the first things that me and Rachel ever talked about in like DMs on Twitter that uh, I, I think led to this podcast. So Sean's B story here and he's just Sean Bean. Let's uh, let's just call him that. Right. Uh, and like also the way he shouts Rose uh, sounds like it ends in a T.H., uh, Roth, Roth, Roth. Yeah. I, I, every time I'm like, I, I, it's, it's not speech impediment. I would never make a joke like that. It's, it's just accenty and it sounds so bizarre. Right. Uh, so Sean Bean, he gets left, uh, with this kidnapping thing. He goes to his wife's computer and sees that the last thing that she Googled was Silent Hill. So he's like, that's where she went. Uh, so he hops <laughs> in the car and he heads out there. And because he didn't get like he didn't hit the ghost girl or whatever happened, uh, he doesn't wind up in the other world or whatever is happening here. He's just sort of in this town and a different cop uh, detective finds him and they kind of have a bro back and forth. And so what happens is that uh, he has this B plot where it's mostly just him and this cop hanging out and the cop telling him more backstory about the, the town and like things that have happened there. So it's just this sort of plot dump on backstory that is also kind of covered in the in the A story without Sean Bean, but it, it does show that he's just looking for his wife and daughter. It's very taken. I want my family back. Uh, but this is the thing that, that came out later about it is that um, the studio was worried about a film that had only female leads because we have the mom, the female cop, and the daughter, and then all the people in the cult. It is, it is an all-female movie. And they were like, we don't think that that's going to do well at the box office. So the Sean Bean B story is basically there to make sure there's enough Sean Bean like screen time to put him <laughs> in the trailers and get people out. The entire B story can be cut entirely uh, right. and it does not affect this movie. And so it like in a in a in an incredibly feminist horror film uh, done by a French director that he clearly knows what he's doing because it's all about motherhood and he gets what's happening. There is one of the most sexist things that has ever happened in modern cinema <laughs> also happening in this movie. And you're just like, oh, that's that's not. Uh, yeah. mm, uh. And I mean, it's not like any of the backstory stuff doesn't make anything creepier. And like it, it certainly does help explain. But like if you cut all of it and watch the movie, it's a great movie, and some of the stuff that you don't have explained just makes things creepier. Like, you know how explaining a, a monster doesn't make the monster scarier or putting the monster directly in sunlight? You're like, okay, I can see the whole monster. That's, uh, that's cool. I guess that's yeah. it. Like, it's uh, for, for a mystery, fucking sure, but it is, it is, what a, what a, what a gross thing. It's, it's kind of gross, and it is one of the things that, like, I, I, in college, I did like do an edit of this film to take that out to like just for me. And I was like, this is I, I, I can never look down on anyone that's done their own like Star Wars edit or their own Lord of the Rings <laughs> edit. Like I get it now because I did it for Silent Hill, the movie, <laughs> a movie I believe to be good that also has this fucking chunk. Here's here's like what's interesting. Like one thing I was watching it, watching the movie a second time and um. <clears throat> Obviously, it's sort of a joke or punchline at this point how boring, uh, how, like, boring and unnecessary the Sean Bean scenes are. Like, oh, you're like, oh, this is the movie where Sean Bean, like, goes through files where <laughs> he, like, drives in the rain. 
Um, and for me, what is interesting about them is when they're in the movie, they almost subvert also like what the movie is about. Because you're like, like, one thing I was thinking about when I was watching this movie is like, what is this movie about? Like, it wants to be, I think, about, um, you know, a mother's relationship to her child. But when you have all this like Sean Bean content, it sort of starts to become about um, the relationship between the mother and the father uh, in terms of raising the child. Like it starts to change where the focus of the movie even is. Um, so you have a movie, so you get this kind of movie that's sort of bizarre, I think, because it's a movie about, um, it has, it's about two things. Uh, now it's about two things. It's about the mother's relationship with the child, where almost none of the movie, uh, they are in the same scene together, or you see them together. Uh, and then you have a, a movie that's about uh, the relationship between a mother and a father, where they're never in the same scene together. <laughs> so it's uh, just a, a movie about uh, these relationships uh, when uh, there's this complete, like, absence of a relationship or uh, when you're just, uh, or where the only thing that's present is the attempt to have that relationship where there is none or where you, you can't get them in the same room together. Um, which is, it's a very like disorienting kind of space to be in uh, because you never, like again, talking about like scenes that you feel the movie is missing. Like if I had had like one scene where Sean Bean and Rada Mitchell had just like, could just be in the in the movie together and just talk about like what it means to be a mother versus it means to be a father. Uh, maybe that would be hokey or obvious or like ruin it. But I feel like that would like help me sort of orient myself in terms of what the movie is trying to say about the relationship between a mother and father in raising their child. Like or give me a sense of how the characters felt like their different responsibilities were because obviously um I really you know like they're that uh the that's, daughter they have a completely... better reading of this film than most people would give it <laughs> well it's just like because especially like we can talk about the end but it's impossible to see the end and not think okay this is really about you know motherhood versus fatherhood uh and you take those sean bean scenes out uh first of all probably as you said much better film and second of all the movie becomes about motherhood uh, in a much purer sense, where now it's sort of like the dad's like, well, I'm part of it too. Uh, but obviously <laughs> he's like not really part of it. So it's sort of about how like uh, the father is essentially this um, uh, tertiary or tangential figure in the child's life <laughs> as much as he tries to be relevant. Uh, so it's like, the fact that those scenes are in, I actually think that they're like, it becomes a weirdly misandrist film, whereas if they had just kept those scenes out, uh, like, it wouldn't have been a comment on on fatherhood or maleness at all. Well, so the, the comment... Mm. <laughs> so uh, a thing that we haven't hit on yet in the recap is that... Uh, Alessa Gillespie is is this girl that uh, within the town, uh, she got offered up for sacrifice uh, and and got and got killed or, or burned uh, by this this cult uh, and um, so the that girl looks uh, just like Sharon, who's the daughter that they're looking for, and they adopted her from 
Silent Hill, they, it turns out. So, like, their daughter is, like, the, the reincarnation of this girl that is the reason that the whole town is under this. So Deborah Kara Unger's character is uh, Jalissa's, uh, is Alessa's mother. Uh, and when the cult came and asked, like, can we sacrifice her? She was like, yes, you can, because we need to get out of this or whatever. Uh, so there's that. And then there's the mom that brings her daughter to Silent Hill because she was screaming about it in nightmares. And then there is the leader of the cult who is the mother to everyone uh, who has, has led them to this place that they're all trapped here. So it is uh, it is about absentee mother figures allowing uh, bad things to happen to their daughters and the sort of cycle of that. But then uh, the men in the world uh, w- uh, th- are either ineffectual or they're actively making things worse. And so we, uh, what happens next in sort of our plot here that we were getting to is that uh, Anna, this sort of helpful but childlike cultist, uh, there's a transition into the other world, and uh, for the second time in the movie, we see Pyramid Head, who's just a guy with a giant uh, spiky red pyramid on his head, and he's got a giant <laughs> sword, and he grabs Anna and pulls her skin off in one giant pull. It's one of the weirdest, uh, most impressive like horror moments I've ever seen, just uh, skin and then gone. It's uh, very much like the end of, of Buffy season uh, six. Uh, bored now. Bye. Uh and it's it's so weird, but uh, it turns out that the the person behind um, Pyramid Head uh, is the same person that is that janitor whose name tag we saw earlier because he's all wrapped up in barbed wire. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that guy is a janitor that it is implied in a in a flashback maybe uh, raped Alessa when she was a child, and that's why she was unclean and worthy of being murdered and sacrificed by this cult. Uh, and so it is a lot about like. Men are the problem, but women that don't stand up to protect anyone are also the problem. I think that that's a reading that you can have here. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like, it's like funny because um, uh, I don't think that there's a single character except for, like, besides the cop, uh, <laughs> there's like not a single character where you're like, that character is what the, the film has set up as like, what you should do or what is like the right thing to do so you're just watching a series of people making very bad decisions and you're just like i wonder what this film thinks a good father would be uh unless the film thinks that there's no such thing as a good father or a good mother uh maybe it's a maybe it's a statement about how society in in our society there are no good parents and and maybe it has something to do with how, uh, in a very Catholic sense, I feel like there's probably something about like the transference of sin uh, from from one generation to the next. The sins of the father uh, extend on down, which even like you know we're dealing with uh, Sharon here, who is just a normal child, but she also carries the stains and the burden of the sins of an entire town, and that's being adopted. She didn't know. She just thought, you know, I've got two normal parents that no one knows if they're rich or not. Uh, (laughs) No, you've got the baggage of hundreds of people. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it is like a, like, like you would say this is like a bummer of a film, right? Uh, I, I I think it should be, but overwhelmingly, like I I think it, it keeps the mood up and something about that. It comes from what we've uh, talked about earlier, which is that, 
this film does something that I don't know why everyone doesn't do. Uh, and it it was like, okay, Silent Hill and Silent Hill 2 have these very iconic scores, and they mostly take the score from Silent Hill 2 here, uh, and that's just the whole score of the movie, and yeah. it's, it's perfect. And they flew out the composer to set a number of times so that he could help, like, I, I don't even know what he did on set to be flown out all that much, to be like, yeah, yeah, this song should go here, or to, like, to describe to other people, like, the mood that the song would set for a scene, which feels very much like Fincher working with the Dust Brothers on Fight Club, like to have the musician explain what a scene is going to sound like before you act it. Like everyone here was so smart and good and I'm not all of it is reflected in the film, uh, <laughs> which is, is tricky. And, and, and especially it should be considered that this is also an insanely low budget film for what it is. And there yeah. are, there are whole sequences that had to be cut. Like the guy that um, is the actor inside of pyramid head and inside of a couple of other characters, uh, there was a whole sequence that they had planned out uh, for a big monster attack at one point, and because of budgets, they couldn't get him on that day. Oh man! Like, they just had to send him home, and so they <laughs> had to cut that scene. It was just like, oh, okay, it's like this was put together piecemeal, and it feels as good as it does. Like, yeah. Kudos to everyone here, and anyone that's talking shit can probably shut their mouths because, like, it's it's a miracle that this exists at all. <laughs> uh, you're like, you're like, you know what? Just be grateful. We have exactly one Silent Hill movie. Uh, no sequels. <laughs> this is the only one. Be- Rachel. Yeah. You know we have to do it at some point. I know. <laughs> um, yeah. We are in a hell of our own making. I know. Uh, just like Silent Hill itself. I know. I guess like for me, uh, like the thing I come keep coming back to is... Um, <clears throat> Because, like, we again, like, it's probably about time to talk about the ending and how it's not a good ending. Uh, you, you, you get one of the negative, you get, you, it's, it's like a video game. You're like, oh, this is not the, the positive ending. There's a positive out, ending out there, uh, you know, in our collective imagination. But you get a downer ending. Um, and I just can't stop thinking about, like, what the characters could have done. Uh, to get the positive ending in this movie, uh, like if you imagine that it's a true adaptation in which uh, different endings were possible. Uh, Brock, do you have any ideas how we could have gotten a better ending than what we got? Money. Money. <laughs> I, I'm actually I'm actually very satisfied by by both endings here because uh, because both of them feel true to the experience, but also you're absolutely right. None of them is technically the good ending. Uh, when you say both endings, um, I'm thinking about when she comes back to the house. What ending are you thinking? What are you talking about? Oh, I, I'm talking about the uh, big penultimate scene. Oh, right. Uh, so we didn't cover this, but basically uh, the whole third act is the cult trying to be like, you've got to get the daughter back here and we'll, we'll fix everything. And the cult kind of helps, but they also send our heroes down into a spooky basement full of sexy nurses with knives and dead bodies and stuff. Uh, and, uh, we, uh, we get the daughter back, uh, and we go back to the, the church, uh, and at the church, they decide that they're gonna, they're gonna sacrifice her again, obviously, because it didn't work last time. Uh, and they're they, doubling they, down. They're, up, <laughs> they're doubling down, like, okay, two, two burns make a right. Um, and the first thing that they do, do is, uh, uh, burn the cop alive at the top of a of a large ladder. Just you just cook her very slowly, uh, and it's a it's a pretty brutal death. 
And what's like, what's uh, funny about it for me, what's funny about it is like, you could pretty much safely assume she had died in the last scene we saw her where they just beat her to crap. Uh, but they're like, no, we're going to bring back, we're going to establish that she's still alive from the beating and then really kill her. I mean, but uh, it, it's it's not like a fridging because what happens next, I think, after after spending the movie flip-flopping between like, is the cult on our side, is the cult not on that side? It's the equivalent of shooting a puppy here. <laughs> you're like, okay, th- there's no one here that deserves any form of redemption. Uh, and what happens next is that... Uh, the mother is stabbed and from her flows the spirit of Alessa, who uh, who was basically snuck into the hollowed ground inside of the mom character. It's you don't really need to explain it anyway. The, goat, <laughs> the, the angry spirit is now in the church. And what follows is that uh, barbed wire shoots out from everywhere uh, and starts murdering everyone in this room and actually. Uh, four quarters, uh, the the head priestess, and then shoots barbed wire up through the middle of her and tears her into pieces. Uh, it's a very sexual night. It's reverse birth. It's 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 and a like lot of right things, before she dies, uh, torn she, to shreds. Yeah, and she like she she sees she says a prayer, right? She's like, uh, keep like God, give me the strength to stay pure. Uh-huh. Which is like, okay, this is going to be gross. Yeah, it's it's a lot. And and it, it, this is also one of the things that um, budget constraints actually changed because in the original, uh, the script, the plan here was that instead of the barbed wire coming up to take everyone out, uh, Alessa actually brings forth six different pyramid heads, each with a different weapon, and they run around the, the church killing everybody. Yeah, <laughs> which would which would have made more sense for the pyramid hair character that we had, like, you know, that there be a reason that he be here, and and that would have been it. Like, there's there's six versions of this torture, and uh, like it's based on Dante's Inferno and punishments there. So like, there was big ideas behind that, and instead it's a bunch of CGI razor blades, and it's it's big and visceral, and oh boy, does everyone get a very specific comeuppance and. Uh, I, it's visually interesting, and and I think it still like fits with the themes of the movie. It's a big bloodbath. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, it's 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 gross. It's gross. I'm just watching it. I'm like, man, uh, I don't know <laughs> if this is a good ending, but man, it's it's gross. So it's really <laughs> it's really checking off that Silent Hill box. <laughs> uh, so then we get to what we were talking about, which is the ending, which is that uh, Rose gets her daughter back. Uh, and they hop in the car, and now they can just go home. Uh, everything that was stopping that from happening before is out of their way. They leave Silent Hill, and uh, and also the dad uh, has left Silent Hill too. There's there's sort of a sequence where the mom and the dad are on a street together, and they're in the same place, but you can tell that they're they can't see each other, so there's something off there. Uh, and they both drive home, and they both get to the house. Uh, and he gets home and he can hear something moving around and he thinks that they're there and they're in the other room. And then you realize it's still true. Like they can't see each other. They're not in the same universe is, is basically what's happening. Like uh, Rose and her daughter are still stuck in, in this other place. Uh, but it, it doesn't seem like a bad place. Like it's a very in between thing and mother and daughter are ostensibly stuck together 
forever. Or like I remember watching it in the theaters with friends and they were like, oh, cool. Like, uh, does that set up a sequel where it's like about them trying to get back or something? I was like, no, I don't think that that's. I don't think that we should plan on a seeing a sequel to this because clearly there's only one movie. Um, but no, it's like that's the end of their story. And and to be fair, there's enough Silent Hill endings that uh, are in the games where you go, huh? Well, I'm sure there's a big idea there, but I don't fully get it. And this feels like, again, a great adaptation of that. It's like, I'm, I'm pretty sure I understand what's happening, but what am I supposed to do with it? Right. Right. Um, what do you feel about it? Because it, it, it is a bummer of an ending, but it is. it's not necessarily bad. Um, so I I think I've been on record, uh, if not in this podcast and throughout my life, uh, as like I, as I'm like a big fan of like down endings. I'm like, uh, do the characters deserve to be happy? And if not, like don't give them that happy ending. Um, uh, I think that. Uh, uh, and also, just I just think that like uh, if there's an ending that's poignant, you know, if it's an ending that's sad and it's poignant and it makes sense, like go for it. For me, what this ending is very frustrating. Uh, well, first of all, I, um, uh, you know, it's tantalizing, right? It's like it's right. interesting that they're in two different worlds, that they're in Silent Hill at the same time, but they can't see each other. Um, uh, and and it's obviously interesting that they decided to not resolve that and to go for the downer ending and for me uh what is frustrating or unsatisfying is just the sense that you don't know or it's never or like i can't tell and maybe it's me like what this character could have done different to have created um you know the chance to have had an ending where they came together like you don't know like you there for me like characters in movies and characters and narratives like what makes them interesting is the choices they make and uh there's never sort of a sense of for um rose's character like if you choose a uh this will happen uh, and if you choose b like this will happen and there's not a sense that like oh um uh, she chose A out of B, and she gets to have her daughter, but, um, you know, what's sad or uh, poignant about it is that she does not get to um, reconnect with her husband. Uh, what I think, um, a lot of this movie makes me think of, like, The Ring, uh, which I think of as sort of an un, un, um, unmitigated su success. Uh, and what's cool about The Ring is that The Ring obviously has, like, a really dark ending uh but it's clearly like a choice that the protagonist is making and you can see like yes. you can see what her options are and like what she's chosen um and and the if the consequences of that choice and you're like man that's dark but i get it and i dig it and this one i'm just like what could rose have done to be with her husband again if again you're setting that up as like the ending that feels like everything has been um, made better right uh and 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 aside from the the element of it that's like yes this is an, an interactive story you're right there is no choice that she's been presented with that that happened in here uh because if you look at the the things that she was given a choice in the matter on here uh almost everything is a choice that she made to press on for the sake of her daughter like there's nothing that she ever did here that was selfish or weird or fucked somebody over 
Like, she is a purely good character, and the daughter had nothing to do with this, so why is anyone being punished? Right. Uh, and and to be fair, uh, I, I had said before, like, I don't think that there's a continuation of the story. There probably was, because Roger Avery, the, the guy who wrote this and who also co-wrote uh, Pulp Fiction and Rules of Attraction and things like that, had actually finished a script for the sequel that was going to be directed by Christoph Gans, and before he could finish uh, his second draft of it, uh, he was in a vehicular uh, manslaughter th- case where he uh, got into a DUI on New Year's Eve and killed the passenger of his car, I believe. Wow. Uh, and so he spent like a year plus in jail. Uh, he was actually supposed to be on a work release program where he could go to like work on set all day and then had to report to like basically hotel for criminals at night. But he kept tweeting about how much he hated it and they finally just put him in jail. <laughs> so uh, between between murdering somebody while drunk and uh, and tweeting yourself into jail, my opinion of Roger Avery isn't the highest. But I do kind of want it, to it's it's weird because he was involved in um, he was writing this at the same time as he was writing a Castlevania movie and. I feel like he was also writing like a Wolfenstein movie. He was just in this weird period of like adapting all these video games. And right. based on how good this one came out, I was like, wow, I want to read the scripts for those other things. But then you did a murder. So like, right. <laughs> uh, which also like the idea that anyone associated with this movie would make uh, poor choices and wind up doing something very dark that they have to atone <laughs> for the rest of their life. We needn't joke about it. But um, yeah, it's it is. It is a weird ending, and what do you do with it? Like, the rest, of, and, and even the movie kind of, I think, knows or doesn't know it, in the same way that there's suddenly, like, the car chase earlier and things like that. It cuts from this really morose, thoughtful ending to uh, the credits, which are all, like, <laughs> CGI of, like, Pyramid Head and, like, fires, and, and it's this very music video rock and roll thing. Yeah. Uh, and uh, it it's really highlighting the art and the design of the movie, which I think they realized probably at that point, like this is what people came to see. And also we did a good job on that. And no one can <laughs> argue with that, but it, 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 I think it does throw you when you're watching it to be like, I needed a few more seconds to think about what I saw. And instead it's like fucking guitar solo. Well, blam, here's some spooky monster production art. And you're like, all right, well rock and roll, man. Like it's, and can I just, it's, it's like that they were too worried about silence and they were like, let's not give anyone time to think about it because they might realize that was bad. And like, could I say that like, we're talking about like, oh, this is like a very um, tonal dissonant, like a tonally dissonant moment when we go from this like, like um, sort of this s- uh, slow ending to like these big credits. Um, I actually would have loved to see a little bit more of that kind of like, um, like rock and roll <laughs> like in the movie, like for me, like sometimes the movie is a little like, um, I like for me, like the major tensions and tone are just like how gross and violent everything is compared to like how sort of like sad and serious everything else is. And it would have just had been like a little bit more fun to have like a little bit more um, humor in the film. Um, just like Just like little spots that feel like a little bit um human I, f- I feel like the only one that really gets that right is sort of uh, the character Sybil the cop yeah because she's occasionally just like oh fuck this or like <laughs> that seems like a bad idea and you're yeah. like why is no one else 
have that same thing. And the people that it would have made sense for it to come from, like, it seems like the head of the church, Christabella, like, because how many years have they been living here? And I feel like some of the fuck you attitude about this or like some of the like absolute unwavering belief in what they believed in and being questioned would have been grounds for you. There's a lot of characters who would have had a reason to do that, including our main character who doesn't do nearly enough, except for that one reaching inside the mouth of being like, Nope, this is not, <laughs> this does not make sense. And I will have no part in it. Like, excuse me. <laughs> um, well, like, um, uh, yeah, it's sort of like, is she a more of a James figure or is she more of a Heather figure? And um, uh, they could have like played with that moment more, but they played it very straight. I thought. Right. Uh. <laughs> it's, it, it there isn't that much to say beyond this. I, I, I think that we, the, the interesting thing here at the end is, is, is obviously to discuss the ending. And I think one of the things that I find so confusing about it is perhaps to have played enough Silent Hill and the idea that uh, they get in the car and drive away and that the whole world is, is sort of an extension of Silent Hill, all foggy and in the wrong place uh, brings up this idea because Silent Hill is always, just Silent Hill or something adjacent to Silent Hill. It's like, oh, can you have Silent Hill World? Yeah. Is 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 my hometown also got an, an alt version? Because then you get into a very like uh, the mist or the leftovers kind of thing. And it's like, oh, okay. So is everything a part of this? If you're if you made the transition into it or like is it is it always behind the behind what's happening with us and the what, what silent hill thinks the spirit world is especially as we've already talked about like uh the room and stuff like that it's like okay there the mythology is all over the place because it's different games made by different people and they they have no shared bible but th there is a commentary there it, it gets back to where you started with uh when talking about this movie it's sort of what is it trying to say uh, right. What does it want us to think? What does it want us to take away? Uh, and that is inevitably, I think, where this falls apart because it wants to say that it's a really good video game adaptation, first and foremost. Yeah. And secondly, I fully believe that Roger Avery and the director are trying to say something here, but it's like trying to communicate with somebody in the other world. I'm like, I can't hear you. Uh, I don't know what you were what you wanted to say about existence or ethics or family. Like we can apply our own things here. Cause it seems like we've been given enough rope to, to make that noose, but uh, no, nothing is, is told to us and it doesn't really take a stance on that uh, other than maybe like people are bad. Like, uh, sure. <laughs> or <laughs> I, like, I knew that going in. Or like sort of like, um, if they had had a moment where the the thing that's frustrating, I, I feel like I start all of my sentences on this episode with what's frustrating to me is, uh, so bear with me as I say it again, um, is like they establish that Sharon is the good part of Alessa. Uh, and if they hadn't done that, then it could have been about how uh, loving your evil daughter makes you evil, which I feel like, um, is actually a pretty um, strong thesis that, like, if your oh, if your yeah. daughter is evil, you need to uh, you know cut that bond uh, because obviously, like, uh, what is carrying Silent Hill into the world? I'm assuming um, is the fact that uh, uh, Sharon is part of Alessa and is carrying that evil or carrying Silent Hill into the world with them. Uh, but they establish that. 
uh, Sharon is good. <laughs> Uh, and is completely innocent, so it just sort of becomes very incoherent. Like you're, you don't, you're just like, why is this happening? It, you, well, first of all, you are right to start every sentence with this is frustrating because this is such a good movie. It is so much of a good movie, <laughs> and and it is so frustrating to see so many things that were you know, almost there. Ah, uh, and and that's. It is, yeah, everything is 85% of the way there, and that last 15% is just grueling. There's such gaps in that. And and I think it's frustrating, especially as, like, a fan of video games and trying to make this be a more mainstream thing that other people could appreciate. You're like, this is this would be the best foot to put forward, and other people that just watch movies are going to be like, I, I just see how bad it is. Like, oh, you don't understand. You don't it understand. Was, it was almost there. You just don't get how how good this is and how if if every video game adaptation could be half this good we'd be pretty okay um yeah i love your take on this that the love of a daughter even when she's evil is wrong like the the idea that the thesis of the silent hill movie is you should cut toxic people out of your life is (laughs) i like that i like that a lot even if they're blood like oh excuse me you are quite evil and i can't do this with you because like yeah like (laughs) Um, Sharon is a fake friend. Uh, you just need to cut her out of your life. <laughs> oh my god! Uh, do you have anything else you want to say about the movie, or are we at a wrap up point? Um, I think we're we're pretty good. Um, the acting in it is, uh, I think, fine. Um, <laughs> um, again, like uh, there are stretches where I'm just really enjoying it, and it's very pretty, and and I like that it's like. Um, and I love the ash work, and I love the dustiness, uh, and I love the music. And it's just sort of like, uh, ultimately, I'm not sure what it's about. It could have been about three or four things, and it's almost about all of them. And as uh, a um, as sort of an intro or a, a guidebook or a, tr- a, tr- a, tr- a, a, a a translating guide for people who are not familiar with Silent Hill. Um, you know, it's sort of 80% uh, there and then 20% gibberish. And then people are like, I can't read this guidebook. And you're like, oh, but this guidebook is almost good. <laughs> Look, the person that wrote this guidebook uh, hadn't been to all the places that they wrote about. They just sort of Googled some of the stuff at the end because they ran out of time. Yeah. Uh, so that's why. The, you know, that city doesn't exist and they're not famous for their cheese. It's, it's not the best guidebook, but it will mostly get you where you're going. I I mean, you you started with the movie, right? Yeah. Well, so like yeah. this, this did like set you up to understand like you went from this to like like uh, watching videos about like Silent Hill 2 and stuff. And like it made sense to you, even though they're wildly different stories. Right. Cool. Then, then it accomplishes its goal in that way, and in the rest of it, it's a pretty okay movie. I think the 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 bigger like loss of potential here is that no one will ever touch this again. Like this property <laughs> is, it is it is technically probably done for in the video game space for at least the foreseeable future. But like yeah. no one will ever try to do this movie again. And like I, it does not deserve the derision that it has, but it also doesn't deserve like the place that it's been. Uh, relegated to which is the fact that like 
for several years, anytime I bought something at GameStop, I was just given a free copy of this movie in full screen on DVD. Like, not even the widescreen <laughs> version. Why the fuck did they even make it? Uh, but yeah, like, it, it's it's in $3 bins at Best Buy. Like, it's it's treated like it's Snow Dogs or something. And it's, <laughs> it's not. It's really fucking cool art. As somebody, uh, as somebody with, who has uh, seen both those movies, <laughs> um, I actually think Snow Dogs is slightly underrated. <laughs> Look, also in that bin is Idle Hands, which okay. is a flawless comedy. Yeah, I know what's in the $3 bin. I know what I always <laughs> encounter. Like, we we just treat some movies shitty in the physical media space or, like, just throwing them on, on Netflix. And, and I remember when it was on Netflix and, like, the, uh, the little uh, image that they have on it, of course, changes for you uh, based on... Uh, your watching preferences and stuff. So I was always really upset when like the, the thumbnail for it was just a picture of Sean Bean. And I was like, I fucking know he shouldn't have even been in it. Come Ooh. on, Bean. Uh, I will say, which I, also- I will say that <laughs> this movie more than anything really wants, makes me want to watch the ring again. Like, because um, the things that this movie either does, um, the movie, the thing that this movie does in a really flawed way that are that's frustrating. I'm like, oh, the ring did this thing uh, perfectly, and I don't right. think I ever kind of really um, respected all of the ways that that movie could have been frustrating. Uh, and and now I'm like, I'll get to watch it again and be like, oh, this is what it feels like to have like a really um, uh, a, a really gripping investigation into the mystery um, of like a dark past. Uh, so I'm really excited actually to watch The Ring again, uh, just because I'm like, this is a really sort of um, a B minus version of that story. And, and I'm like, oh, now I can watch the A plus version again. So I'm glad that both movies exist. Um, and uh, with both, I believe, Australian female actresses with, I believe, <laughs> Australian male actors and everyone's American, um, but they do drive through woods. Uh, and. And to be fair, like that is also a movie where there is a lot of bleakness and darkness that happens to a main character that is not evil and has not made choices to be bad. Right. Uh, until the very end when there is a choice to be at least uh, a-ethical. A- uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, well, yeah. So the, yeah. Yeah. Oh, can I t- tell you, like, uh, I know we're like sort of at the end, uh, but mm-hmm. can I tell you, like, the one... Like the one the the one parallel between the two movies that kind of strike strike me as we're talking. Sure. So um, for me, like, uh, what's interesting about um, uh, the ring is the way the way in which like uh, Naomi Watts's character is culpable um, for others, uh, and uh, obviously, spoiler alert for the ring, um, she is sort of semi-responsible uh for sort of the death of her boyfriend and uh and 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 the the movie doesn't like sugarcoat that at all like she tried to fix it she couldn't and then he died uh she tried to fix the situation regarding the haunted tape um in the movie of uh you know in the in the silent hill movie uh there's this moment where um uh rose is almost culpable for uh, the death of Anna, but then there's this like moment where Anna is like sticking around on the steps to throw more rocks at uh, Alessa, 
uh, and that's the film's way of saying uh, this is definitely, um, you know, uh, Anna's fault that she ends up getting her skin ripped off because she can't put down the rocks she's throwing at this old woman. Um, and I feel like if they had made it more explicit that, like, you know what, uh, uh, Rose is pretty much responsible for Anna's death. Like, if we had started to sort of see how uh, Rose was sort of um, this, like, more flawed, more responsible figure um, and made that a little bit clearer and, like, make her kind of grapple with that a little bit more, I think that would have been, um, I think that would have been cool. Uh, I think that would have given a little you, bit more. So what you're saying is basically that she's sort of, like, in an effort to survive, starts sort of accidentally and then intentionally throwing people in, in front of her. Exactly. Exactly. Right. Look, uh, I've got to get to my daughter. You're a stranger to me. I'm sorry. I'm throwing. Shove. I'm throwing you in the pit full of. It would have been six different. Um, it would have been six different uh, pyramid heads, but uh, we ran out of money, so it's just uh, <laughs> one giant razor wire. Uh, so enjoy that death. <laughs> enjoy your inexpensive uh, death. Your oh god, what a diss! <laughs> that feels like something that happens on old Doctor Who. I don't know. Your your death, we just uh, ran out of time, so uh, just choke on something. Uh, yeah, this is... Uh, I was reading on the, the Silent Hill trivia earlier and wanted to mention that uh, the character that plays Rose uh, made the decision to not wash her hair throughout the entire filming so that it would get uh, progressively grosser, which, um, sure, that's... I love actors. I love acting choices. <laughs> that you, you know what? That's... In a world of Jared Leto's and, and dead rats and, and used condoms, not washing your hair is is the sort of acting I support. Uh, I like I like you. I like the image of you reading the IMDb trivia with your arms crossed while Shania Twain's that don't impress me much just plays in your head. That is basically 60 percent of my day that I spend as much time Shania Twaining as you do in improv. So that's. Uh, so thank you guys so much for listening to us talk about the only movie where Sean Bean doesn't die. Uh, weirdly, Silent Hill, where everyone else does. Um, this has been Less Than Silent Hills. We hope you guys are enjoying. I'm Brock Wilbur. I'm online at Brock Wilbur and BrockWilbur.com and stuff. I have some other podcasts you might find on iTunes that you might enjoy. Uh, Rachel, where can people find you and support your work? Uh, they can find me uh, at, at R-A-J Andelman on Twitter, and also uh, at Improv Boston in Cambridge, not in Boston, Massachusetts. Uh, that has been our show. Thank you guys for listening, and we'll uh, see you next month. Bye! Uh, happy birthday to Silent Hill. Happy Bye. birthday! <laughs> <laughs>